Welcome everybody back to Say What Needs Saying. I'm Zach, and today we're going to be talking about the Israeli-Palestinian conflicts, both historically and the and specifically dealing with some of the more recent events and uh, military or missile strikes and the ceasefire and everything else that's been going on over there. Before we get into that, I just wanted to give a couple quick announcements about the show, where we're hoping to go in the future. So the first is that we're thinking about doing a new segment that we tentatively will be calling something like Steel Man Saturdays or Steel Man Sundays, where the hope is to bring on people that have differing opinions on a particular touchy subject like those that we talk about usually, and then have them switch sides, so to speak, and Steel Man the other person's argument. And so what that means is that let's say we were to do an episode on abortion we would have a pro-life and a pro-choice individual come on and talk, or if me and Brandon were to disagree on that, or if one of us were to disagree with someone else, we would have the, that duo come on to talk, but they would flip and the pro-life person would rationalize the pro-choice position, and the pro-choice person would rationalize and defend the pro-life position. So we're hoping to do that in the future, just to continue encouraging these discussions and also to foster a sense of understanding in the opposition's stances, because a lot of times these issues devolve to my opponent is a piece of shit or wants to infringe on human rights or some other drastic um, take. And so taking the time to understand your your political opponent or whoever's point of view can definitely help lessen this and lessen that divide and that perceived divide for sure. The other announcement is before we jump into the Israeli-Palestinian conflicts is that we have a website, again, that I'm going to keep mentioning that is nearly ready to go. It is saywhatneedsaying.com, so be sure to check out, check out that site, and if it's not ready yet, check the following week, and if it's not ready yet, check one more week later. So with that, let's jump into today's episode. Like I said, we're going to be discussing Israel and Palestine. There's been tons going on, and it's obviously a super touchy topic. Uh, if you haven't noticed already, Brandon is not with us tonight. He had some stuff come up last minute at work, and so he's going to be out tonight. But instead, we've brought on one of our longtime listeners to sub in and guest co-host. Uh, we have with us Mr. Man. He's a, like I said, a longtime listener. He's participated a lot in the Discord server and often joins Zoom conversations and other formats to participate in what we're doing here. So we wanted to bring him back on. We've interviewed Mr. Man in the past to talk about cancel culture and academia and some other things. So if you haven't already, be sure to check that episode out. But if you haven't seen that or heard of from uh, Mr. Man in our previous episodes, wanted to turn it over to him really quick just to introduce himself. So, Mr. Man, thanks again for joining us again. It's it's always great to have you on the show and happy to have you co-hosting today. Hey, Zach, um, and hey, uh, listeners. Um, excited to talk to you all today. Um, yeah, I'm Mr. Man. I was in one of the previous episodes. Um, excited to come back as a co-host for this episode. Yeah, I think uh, this topic in particular, I don't think there is any other topic in our current times that is more complex than the Israeli-Palestinian conflict conversation. So definitely a lot that needs to be said here. So yeah, excited to chat with you, Zach, and with our listeners. Yeah, 100%. I wouldn't agree more. It's it's a it's a 
super complex issue, but I keep seeing on both quote unquote sides, you know, everyone wants to simplify this into a much, much more uh, compact issue. And so I think that leads to a lot of the disagreements, a lot of the fights. Obviously, this is a polarizing topic. So even for the people who are looking at this situation rationally, reasonably, logically, you know, there's there's a lot to be said about this issue and we'll dive into a lot of it. Um, obviously there's a quick disclaimer that we're not going to be able to touch on everything that's impossible for how long this show is going to be. So be sure to, after you listen to this episode, do your own research, look into the issue, um, kind of dig into sources on both sides of this and see what you think, form your own opinions. That's what the point of this all is. Um, don't just take us at 100% our word and, mirror our viewpoints uh, regardless of what those may be but yeah it's it's a super complex issue super heated super touchy um i wanted to start with some quick history um and mr man i don't know how how well versed you are on on the historical aspects of this stuff i admittedly i wasn't so i did a bit of a deep dive before this episode but so if you know something i don't um feel free to jump in or correct me or I don't know. Do you have much much experience or background on on kind of the history of the Israel Palestine conflict? Yeah, so I can I I identify as Muslim religiously. So there's a lot of uh, Muslim folks who have a lot of uh, viewpoints regarding the geographical area and obviously related to conflict. So I can definitely touch on those viewpoints. But uh, but yeah, Zach, why don't you go ahead and give us all an introduction, and then I can fill in some parts if needed. Yeah, sure. So basically, and again, this take this explanation with the grain of salt it deserves. This is kind of a quick overview from someone who is a neuroscientist, not a uh, international politician or or what have you. So take it with a grain of salt. But I want to fast forward a little bit to the point of the Ottoman Empire. Um, we could start this conversation back in biblical times and discuss Abraham's descendants settling in Canaan and and how the split between Judaism and Islam then came from his descendants um that i that's all there as well and it's still an important part of this conflict especially from like you were saying the religious side of it um but uh, for the point of this explainer i guess i'll start with the ottoman empire um because at that point the ottoman empire uh, quote unquote had Palestine like it was it was their territory it was their um, region and then towards the late 19th century then you saw more of this rise in Zionism and a desire for a, a Jewish homeland um, namely in in Israel um, in what was then considered the Ottoman Empire's Palestine so Britain at that point um, had through the Balfour Declaration established a home for Jewish people in Palestine, or at least promised it to them. Um, like I said, the Ottoman Empire still technically owned that land or, or had that land in 1917. And so it may or may not have been Britain's, I, I suppose, it may not have been justified for them to promise it. Um, there's a lot of different takes on that instance. And we'll get a little more into that in in a little bit but then following the balfour declaration this led to a lot of conflict but then in 
19, from 1920 to 1939, so moving forward a little bit, um, then we had the Jews immigrating to Palestine, buying land and establishing themselves there as, depending on who you ask, you know, as an attempt to make Jerusalem more Jewish, to return to the homeland. There was obviously a lot of anti-Jewish sentiment going on in the time, and so some were escaping that persecution and going elsewhere. Then later in, so this was, you know, 1920 to 1939-ish, in 1936, there was then a Palestinian revolt. And in response, Britain limited the amount of Jewish immigration to the area and also declared that in 10 years time, there would be a joint Arab slash Jewish state in, in the region. And so basically no one was happy. Um, Jews were unhappy because the immigration was being limited. Palestinians and Jews, for that matter, were upset because no one wants to wait 10 years for a decision to be made. And so it didn't solve the conflict clearly because we're still here today. Um, in the meantime, you know, throughout this whole period, there were several attempts at compromise, attempts at sharing the land. There was the Paris Peace Conference. There was the San Remo Conference, the, um, the League of Nations at the time in 1922 also established that um, there would be a home for the Jews in Palestine, which the League of Nations was sort of the predecessor of the UN. So there were a bunch of different compromise propositions um, that obviously did not go over because we are still in where we are. Um, and then we had World War II. So World War II, thir uh, 1939 to 1945. And following World War II, we had the UN partition plan for Palestine. This was in 1947. Basically, this was then the UN proposing their plan for how the land should be divided between the Jewish and Palestinian uh, peoples. And this more or less left the, uh, I believe the West Bank, the Gaza Strip, and then a couple other regions, some a little bit north of the West Bank and some on kind of the um, perimeter of the Gaza Strip, like it extended, I'm pretty sure, a bit, uh, a bit past what is now considered the Gaza Strip. And so that was deemed uh, the Palestinian land and the Jewish land in this partition plan was basically everything else um, in, in the area. So that was in 1947. In 1948, um, in a war broke out between the Arabs and Israelis. Um, I believe it was called Nakba, um, or th at least that was what um, one side called it. I'm blanking on on who is calling it that. Um, but basically, it was, to my knowledge, a the the Palestinian or rather Arab countries in the region disagreed with the UN partition plan, the allotted uh, or designated breakup of the land between the Arab and Jewish um, countries or people. And so they fought back, they or they, um, they enacted war on Israel. To my understanding, it was an Arab offensive Israeli defensive war in 48. Um, then there was in 1949 an armistice and Israel won the outcome of these wars was basically to expand the amount of land that was considered Jewish and decrease the amount that was that was deemed for the Palestinian people. 
And that then limited it to pretty much the West Bank and the Gaza Strip. So a little bit of land that was to the north of that was um, deemed Jewish territory at that point. And then afterwards, so then from 1949 onwards, clearly still no, I suppose, conclusion. Um, but then in 1967, we had the Six Day War, which was again a war between Israel and many of the Arab nations in the in the area. This one, I'm not as sure, um, whereas the 1948 war, I'm more certain that it was um, offensive on the part of the Arab countries and defensive on the part of the Israelis. I'm not as positive with this one. And frankly, in my deep dive, I wasn't able to figure it out. But the 1967 Six Day War then led to a lot more of the, the region and surrounding regions being deemed uh, Israeli territory, Jewish territory, they wound up taking the Golan Heights and the Sinai Peninsula. And then in after that, in 1967, the UN proclaimed through, I don't remember what it was called, something 242, Proclamation 242 or, or something to that effect, basically said that both states, both the Palestinian state and the Israeli state, have a right to exist. Um, and that Israel is to withdraw and have everyone recognize that both of those states have a, have a right to exist. So over time, the Sinai Peninsula, I believe, was given back to Egypt. Um, the let's see, that was in the 1979 Egypt-Israel peace agreement. Um, but then over that same kind of time in 1978, we had the Camp David Accords, another attempt at peace and another attempt at a two state solution that ultimately didn't didn't work. Um, the Israeli government was then forming Jewish settlements that, at least by international law, were deemed illegal. They were putting these in um, in Gaza, in the West Bank and Jerusalem. And a lot of those are what is kind of driving a lot of the conflict today. Um, and we'll be talking about land ownership and sort of what, what determines whether or not you own the land that you claim to own. But moving, moving on really quick, just to get through a bit more of the history, just so that we can get to the conversation. Um, this was all followed by the, the first and second uh, Intifada. Basically, Israeli forces were cracking down on this. Um, the, the, the Intifadas were a revolt, were revolts by the um, Palestinian people. They were against these settlements and were cracked down by Israeli police forces and so on. We had the Oslo Accords in 93 and 95 that created the Palestinian Authority um, and the Palestine Liberation Organization or the PLO. Um, which I believe was created before then, but don't quote me on that part. Um, it didn't actually, the Oslo Accords didn't actually create a Palestinian state and was opposed by a lot of the Palestinians and a lot of Palestine. Um, and then just rapid fire, 2000, we had Clinton and the Camp David Accords again, um, followed by the Second Intifada. In 2002, in Israel, they were constructing a wall around the West Bank, including some of these internationally illegal settlements. Then we had the division of Hamas and the Palestinian Authority on how to actually govern Palestine with Hamas um, 
taking a more, I guess, aggressive approach, being deemed a terrorist organization by lots of countries, including the US. Um, and basically at this point where we're at, um, and we'll touch on a little more of the specifics of the settlements and such, but essentially Palestine claims that they've been denied a state, um, both through these recent times, as well as by uh, previously through the agreements that were made and through the UN's ability to enforce what they were what they were promoting. Whereas Israel says that they deserve a homeland, the UN gave them that homeland, and so now they deserve this land. There's obviously a lot of religious aspects to this. Um, again, like I said at the beginning, with Judaism and Islam both being Abrahamic religions, but having their differences, um, and for this to be such a holy and important site for both religions. So yeah, so that was so that was a mouthful. Um, we had one comment that I wanted to get to briefly. It says, uh, when you say Jews moved around and were promised things, is this a religious movement or gift or a specific people or what exactly? So my understanding, and again, maybe take this with a grain of salt, but my understanding was that Britain was promising this land that they didn't have yet. Um, I'm not positive how much of it was motivated by religion and how much of it was motivated by nationality. I think a lot of it was motivated by the anti-Jewish persecution of the time, but at the same time, a lot of it was driven by secular Jews. Um, and so while I'm sure religion played some part of it, there were lots of secular Zionists that sort of drove this movement as well. Not to say all of them were, um, or all of them weren't, but but at least a chunk of it was a secular movement. So yeah, I've been I've been rambling for a little while about this about this historical background. Mr. Mann, uh, what do you think? Do you have anything to to add into that timeline that we're working with? Yeah, uh, Zach, great uh, summary of uh, the history, and uh, folks can already understand how complex the history is. But I think a couple of clarification points there. I think it's also important to understand uh, what Zionism is mm -hmm. and maybe an uh, understanding of what the uh, ideology is. So it's basically a nationalist ideology that uh, the Jewish people, they, uh, they, uh, they have this piece of land um, that they have been roaming around for centuries um, and that they deserve this uh, piece of land. They deserve this like homeland. And it's complicated because it's uh, dependent on religion partially. It's dependent on ethnic identity. It's dependent on a number of different things, but also this nationalist movement that, hey, like we, we, uh, we have been in exile for a while and we need to get back to our heartland. We need to get back to our like home, quote unquote home. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's that's an idea that we really need to uh, uh, unravel a little bit and really break it down. And this really goes into like property rights, right? So like the philosophy, I'm sure you'll touch on this, but um, the philosophical question is, um, okay, like if you had something a thousand years ago, um, how much of that do your descendants or like centuries later how much of that do they have the rights to that right and i think it's a very interesting question if you look at the parallels of this to let's say the united states what's going on with uh, the uh reparations movement in the united states particularly from the left from black lives matter and from the left you can see some parallels there you can also think about this in the context of let's say any any other any other like people who have roamed around so let's say 
uh, let's say the Vikings, uh, I'm just giving a hypothetical example here. Mm-hmm. Like, let's say that a, a descendant of the Viking now just comes up and says, hey, like Norway is mine. Like I need Norway back or like something like that. I, I, it's of course like a, a hypothetical example, but it's interesting to discuss about what property rights are and how does the timeline of something make make land ownership um like something that you have the rights to right so like i don't know if you have any thoughts about this that you wanted to discuss um well just i guess the one thing that came to mind is even taking it one step further to the idea of whether or not private property is a thing right whether or not we have the right to private property because i know that frankly even though i it sounds crazy saying this but i know plenty of people that i feel like may start to disagree with that statement just with a lot of um maybe i sound a little bit conspiratorial or overly paranoid but you know with with the rise of things like democratic socialism and other countries having maybe not the us but other countries having movements like socialism communism i think that's the first point of disagreement between certain people is whether or not you do have private property and i think you know for the most part I I don't want to make assumptions for either you or for the listeners or anyone, um, but I'm, I guess I'm acting under the assumption that we're all here agreeing that private property is a right um, and that, that we can have it. But yeah, I mean, as far as your points about what constitutes that, I, I don't know. I think the one differentiating factor or at least partially differentiating factor between this and the reparations movement in the U S is that, at least for a lot of the contested property, uh, especially these settlements in, I, I want to say it's the West Bank, but I don't know, it could be Gaza too, it's probably both, um, that a lot of both the Palestinians and Jews can procure actual titles to this land, right? So whereas the reparations movement, it's sort of hazy, right? Like there were there was slavery, slaver, slaves couldn't own anything, and then there was probably a period at the very beginning where record keeping was abysmal and garbage. And so there probably isn't as much like ability to prove your ownership of that land, I guess. And then conflict of, you know, two different land deeds coming up. But yeah, I think that it's it's a definitely an apt com- uh, comparison between the two for sure. Yeah. And I think that goes nicely into the segue of what the current situation is mm-hmm. with that historical background. So this current situation is definitely one of land dispute property rights. So this is an area called Sheikh Jarrah. It's in uh, the West Bank. And so uh, this has been going on for a while. Uh, folks can uh, look this up online that uh, some of these uh, evictions of people who have been uh, staying there have been going on for a while. So this is uh, basically set, uh, Israeli settlers who now uh, come into this region and say, hey, like, this is my, like, um, the Israeli government has sanctioned this region for me. Uh, and I have, like, they've created a, a land deed, uh, like some of the Israeli courts had, and people can just go in and say, hey, like, this is now legally my uh, my property. Um, and so there's a question of, okay, like uh, the Israeli government is producing a piece of deed. Uh, legally, it makes sense. But then what happens to who were residing there already? Mm-hmm. Uh, how does that factor in? You know, so these are like complicated questions there. Um, and so this latest uprising happened related to a 
couple of families that have been evicted from that area. And so that caused, of course, when whenever like small incidents like this happen, clashes really erupt. Like this, that region is so sensitive that little things like that, when that happen and are not remain unresolved, that leads to a huge clash between Israel and Palestine. And of course, uh, the terrorists come in, uh, Hamas, Hezbollah, other terrorist groups really take advantage of that situation. Um, the Israeli government takes, um, uh, and then of course, Israeli allies such as the United States have a lot of uh, stakeholders in that region. So it just becomes a mess. Um, so yeah, th that's the uh, that's the overview of what happened recently. Uh, Zach, do you have anything to add there? Yeah, so I think the the distinction that we should make at this point too, um, I like the, the points that you made about the Israeli government um, and then sort of at least um, at least tangentially some of with with Hamas and may, where they may not be more they may not be the Palestinian government, but historically they've played a large role in the government right when they they were the opposing party to uh, uh, it starts with an F uh, I can't remember. But basically, I, the one thing to keep in mind and the distinction to draw, I think, is that both of these countries are the governments are so the governments of the of Palestine is sort of in I don't, I don't want to say in shambles, but it's not organized well at all right now. And Israel as well is I'm pretty sure still going on ongoing elections. And so things aren't 100 percent stable governmentally there either and simultaneously i think we should make a distinction between the people and the government um, we've done this before on some other issues but i think that when we're talking about these issues um, you could take issue with the actions of the israeli government of maybe of these groups in palestine but at the end of the day you know look i whether or not you agree with israel's actions and the the israeli courts upholding and sanctioning this land being reclaimed by the Israelis. At the end of the day, look, if I'm an Israeli Jewish citizen and my government tells me you are absolutely justified in reclaiming this land on which your family lived before 1948, we realized that it was taken during the war and we're giving you that back. And that's sanctioned by us, your government, who are intended by all intents and purposes to protect you. I think that that's a different judging that person then for their actions is very different from judging the Israeli government for your thoughts on their stances legally. And similarly with the Palestinian people, right? Um, Palestinian people living on this land, um, they aren't granted the same uh, ability as Israeli citizens. The, the um, Palestinian citizens aren't able to reclaim land if it was taken from their families during the same 1948 war, at least again, to my knowledge. And so there is a lot of animosity there. There's a lot of sentiments of, you know, racist policies or racist enactment of or carrying out of the laws. And so I guess just, you know, a certain level of empathy is needed for both of those sides when the governmental situation is such is is so going to shit and you know so chaotic at the very least we got we got one comment it says what is the business or political or philosophical reason for local people and governments trying to get the u.s 
getting involved in these things as opposed to the UN or someone else. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a that's a good direction to go with this, I think, because I mean, both. So the UN has played a, a large role historically in kind of divvying up this land. Um, and this is some, one thing that I wanted to raise to you, Mr. Man, too, is this idea of, well, you know, the UN being I don't I don't want to say the decider. Right. But being the one to make this call, because on the one hand, I'm I'm personally I'll open with my, I guess, perspective. I'm split on it because on the one hand, obviously, the UN is a internationally more or less respected institution. You know, someone, quote unquote, needs to make these decisions. But on the other hand, I mean, who's the UN? Like, who is, I don't, I'm not a huge fan of these international institutions. I'm not a big fan of things like the WTO, WHO, UN. I, I think that while they are rooted in a, in a good place, I'm not so sure. Look, if you're going to have an international law and then not enforce it, the international law doesn't really mean anything. And so, I don't know. I mean, what's, what's your thought on, I guess, on this whole comment, Mr. Man, but just yeah. on you know, U.S. versus U.N. involvement? Yeah, I think it's uh, interesting to unpack why the U.S. is involved. I mean, the U.S. is involved worldwide in a lot of things, uh, but it's, it's no different than that. But I think the U.S. is particularly uh, invested in Israel, uh, particularly by the fact that a lot of taxpayer money, your money, my money, and our listeners' money, about $4 billion annually goes to Israel, mm -hmm. which is a very substantial amount of money. So, um, like, why is does the U U.S. bother in, into this? There's a couple of reasons to unpack here. First of all, uh, this issue itself transcends both the what you would consider the right uh, of center or the left of center mm -hmm. of the political spectrum in the US. Like you'll see people all across the board either supporting or not supporting. And it's it's interesting to unpack why that's the case. For, for instance, like American Jews, for instance, um, uh, folks who tend to support uh, Israel, but there's also a substantial uh, group of American Jews who don't necessarily support Israel the way right. that it is right now. Uh, and particularly Hasidic Jews or a lot of like uh, religious Jews don't necessarily support this idea of a uh, of Zion of that uh, promised piece of land. Um, and then there's of course the uh, American right. If you look at it, there is actually the American right is split. Um, so if you look at like um, uh, folks who are evangelical Christians, for instance, so you, uh, Zach, you had mentioned that uh, Muslims and Jews have uh, like. Uh, rights to that place, but I would say Christians have a huge mm -hmm. uh, uh, right as well to that piece of land. It's the triad of all these three Abrahamic religions. Right. So yeah, the evangelical Christians have uh, a vested interest in that piece of land as well, uh, particularly because there's this belief point that the uh, Jews need to get back uh, to the promised land in order for the Messiah to return. So, I mean, this is not explicitly in the law or anything, but it, it's just a viewpoint that uh, the uh, part of the American right espouses. There's also the, um, like, uh, the far right who are actually like, uh, like anti-Semites, like legit anti-Semites who oppose Israel. So that's another like part of the right that Mm -hmm. Of course, if you go to extreme end, you can talk about that. And then there's the left, right? So the left, actually, you'll see a big portion of the left 
who say that, uh, yeah, like Israel uh, deserves it and uh, deserves that piece of land. And if you look at like the demographics of the American Jews, they tend to be on the left mostly, um, I would say. Uh, and so they tend to be on the left and they support Israel as a state. Um, and then there's also this like, now this this happened in the past few years, okay? So this is the weirdest part, which is this like progressive, like leftists who are like, oh, like Jews are like white people and they don't deserve like, uh, like their privilege. And like, it goes into this whole narrative of like, you know, like white privilege and like, and like Palestinians are the brown people. And like they, so that's like the weird new thing that has showed up in the past couple of years that's that's supporting like less of Israel. But anyway, so that, that brings up the landscape of like why the US is involved mm -hmm. because of like these varying viewpoints and the U.S. likes to get involved in a lot of things. And there's actually like, like uh, if you look at the IDF, like the Israeli Defense Force, about, uh, I think the statistics is somewhere there, about somewhere between 20 to 50% of the IDF is actually Americans. Like it's actually a very sur surprising fact, like American Jews who don't necessarily uh, join the military in the U.S., but they join, they go to Israel because it's their promised land and they're Jews and they feel like they have this, like, they feel resonant to that, uh, like the IDF and they go and uh, join the IDF instead. So it's actually very interesting, like how, like, there's a lot of this, like, of course, it's religious, of course, it's ethnic, of course, there's a lot of, like, factors that's involved. But I think um, the fact that the U.S. is like so closely tied to this, not only religiously, but also ethnically. It really plays into why the U.S. is involved in this, in this whole fiasco. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then the, the two things I would add, one from the American left and then one from the American right. Um, as far as the American right, I think the other element that comes, well, and I guess maybe not just the right. You see this from the American left, too. Biden has even come out saying, I'll, I'll give Biden credit, I, he's come out much to the disappointment of some of those people that in that progressive left that you were just talking about. Um, but he came out and has reaffirmed that, you know, the Democrats are still on the side of Israel and are still de defending Israel. I think a big part of this um, on both left and right, um, just in America in general, is this idea of Israel being um, one of, if not the only democracy in the Middle East, um, being one of the more free countries in the area. And then on the left, you know, Conversely, you'll see, I keep, I keep saying on the left, but like you said, there's more of a gray and crossover area there than I'm, than I'm giving it credit for and acknowledging. But, you know, this, this idea that it's more democratic, it's more free, and so therefore America should stand for those things and protect those things. And that's why not only are they our ally, but we try to, you know, assist them where they can. I think a lot of this also comes from and this is a tangent, this isn't the second point that I was thinking of, but, you know, there's also this idea of America being a leading force in the war on the international war on terror um, since 9-11, well, and potentially before that even, but, you know, we've, America has positioned itself as sort of the, one of the enforcers of anti-terrorism in the world, right, and especially in the Middle East. And so with groups like Hezbollah and Hamas, as you know, acting as terrorist forces and very clearly acting against Israel and you know against the recognition of Israel as a state, I think that plays into it as well. 
Um, the other thing that I want to think of of uh, the the progressive left that you were talking about, um, this idea that it's white supremacy and and discrimination of of quote unquote brown people and all of that. I think that it's that you can tie that into we were comparing it to the reparations movement earlier, but I think more broadly the this idea of colonialism and colonialism and and um, and even going so far back as to talk about things like manifest destiny and European slash Western imperialism and things like that. That's sort of the central one central part of the narrative that I've seen from from that progressive left is that this is just another instance of in in this case the UN I, I suppose colonizing and you know enacting their will upon a more or less brown region. And that for that reason, it doesn't hold water. And so I think coming from that perspective, if you truly believe that, I could see how you could stand against the the creation of the Israeli state, just because, I mean, like I said, maybe the UN or Britain or whoever, maybe you're of the belief that they just didn't have the right to grant that homeland. Uh, maybe, you know, it, it shouldn't be up to them. Um, I, I'm not so sure where again where i fall so to speak because i'm not much of a globalist i'm not much of a interventionist in a lot of times but yeah i think that this involvement of the us and the un and other groups it's it's complicated um i don't i know that sounds like a cop-out answer um but yeah <laughs> as far as you know the us getting involved i i just think that you kind of everything we've been talking about you have to factor in all of it from the religious to the economic to the political to all of this um and then you know we can talk about the other elements of it i know that everyone thinks that the media coverage will go one way or the other um or that government representatives or media outlets or whoever will provide cover for one side or the other it's you know it's it, there's a lot of he said she said and you know the idf said or hamas said or this or that so it's also important to take all of that with a grain of salt and realize that while there is some empirical evidence for some of this stuff while there's some objective you know facts that we can use to discuss and deliberate this i you know i'm not sure if, if all of it really is um we had we had one comment it said are there political factions within either side that are against the fighting is everyone for this in these countries how is the demographic um i don't uh, i don't know i mean mr man i don't know if you have any thoughts on this initially i don't have anything immediately but yeah yeah i mean the uh, people are the one who are suffering through mm -hmm. this um the people hate it uh, the israeli people hate it the uh the palestinians hate it uh, they're, the Palestinians suffer more from this because they don't have a structured government mm -hmm. um, and they are the uh, they die in higher numbers. This is factual if you just look at the stats, uh, more children die. Uh, they don't have any defense mechanism unlike Israel. Uh, Israel has a better defense mechanism on, otherwise like they would have been um, massacred as well uh, through this through this process. Um, and it's, yeah, and the people in both sides live under fear. Um, I mean, not to play oppression Olympics, but uh, like Palestinians, of course, live in more fear. They are given um, like short notices to get out of buildings. And then let's say minutes later, they'll have like the, uh, the Israeli army like 
bombing those uh, those targets so that to because Hamas is hiding there. So, um, and then of course the Iron Dome on the Israeli side uh, protects uh, the people, but they also have to go to like shelters and. Mm-hmm and things like that. So it's the people hate it and it's it's just suffering that's been going on for like decades and there's no real solution to this yet. Um, but yeah, uh, one of the other things I wanted to touch on uh, based on some of the observations that I've had um, recently, I've been thinking about this quite a bit about the parallels between like what's going on in the US, uh, particularly uh, like identity-based movements, uh, such as like Black Lives Matter, or you take any other identity-based movements in history and how that compares to, let's say, like Israel, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, the thing, and I wanted to see what you thought and what the, what the listeners thought, uh, but any identity-based movement that purports itself as like, okay, like I'm a victim, it goes too far by an extent like they it goes too far because like if you take black lives matter for instance they want to be the victims they want to have total control they want to be totalitarian and they don't want anyone who criticizes them is racist there is a faction of people and i'm not saying this this is like all uh like uh, israelis or all jews this is a certain faction of folks who uh say that okay if you criticize like zionism you are anti-semitic uh uh, people in, in the media, like, for instance, Barry Weiss, who was in the New York Times, she says this, that, yeah, if you criticize anything related to Israel, the existence of Israel, you are anti-Semitic. And I feel like that's a parallel. Like, this is an, Zionism is an identity-based movement, a victim-based movement that when you deserve something because, like, my ancestors had it, like, thousands of years ago, and I deserve it for that reason. Um, and again, that's a parallel that I made earlier with reparations and like some of the other other parallels that it made. Mm-hmm. And so whenever you have an identity-based movement, it becomes genocidal itself. It's like, it's basically like, let's say if you take um, like the so- Soviet Union or that they were victims of the, uh, of the upper class, or let's say in, in Nazi Germany, Hitler and was the victim of the Jews in that case. So like, this is like turning tides, you know, like it's basically like any identity-based movement can go too far. If, if you take, if you hold on to this victim identity for a long time, it can become genocidal because in order to accomplish your goals, like in order to accomplish like, okay, I need, I need this land. Or let's say if black people and black lives matter go far too far with, let's say, okay, yeah, I need reparations. And in order to get the reparations, I need my land back. Or like, I need like certain pieces of land, like it becomes the land base. So the way to enforce it is to displace someone, right? So like someone must've been there between when you had it in the past and when you are claiming it now Mm -hmm. and between this time period in order for you to get this you have to somehow enforce it you have Mm -hmm. to and and enforcement means leads to displacement Mm -hmm. and so i feel like i can see some of these parallels and i've been thinking about this like how some of these u.s leftist identity-based movements are very similar to let's say zionism or israel i don't know if you have any thoughts about this I don't know. I guess I'll I'll respond to your questions with with a couple questions of my own. I think so. The first thing that came to my mind while you were talking was, in principle, you may be right, but I'm not sure 
what does or what should change at the point that the large majority of the quote unquote leaders of the Western world determine that this now identity based country can exist or should exist and then now is granted that land right so at that point so maybe before that has happened. You know we we can be at this point where okay any of these identity politics or identity based movements or divisions are harmful or bad now being at the point where okay maybe maybe we've already made the decision to divide based on identity in this case forming israel what changes at that point right do we maintain that or do we say whoops we fucked up like let's let's not make the decision based on identity and do we factor in things like context with you know I mean, historically, while again, like you said, and I like it um, not to play oppression Olympics, but you know, the Jews have historically been really oppressed and killed in lots of other places that they try to settle. And so, you know, it's that idea of, okay, is it black and white of we should never do these things? Or is it gray to where, okay, maybe certain times we need to protect a group from certain things, et cetera. But then getting to the, the last point you made, it made me think like, so at what point because on the short scale on the short scale i would say it doesn't matter so to speak that there was a time period on which you were not on that property right let's say i go on vacation and i own a home and i come back and there's someone squatting in my house you know i not only do they not have the legal right to be there but i probably i depending on where in the us i live and you know whatnot probably have the the right to evict or shoot them or, you know, whatever. And I think that a lot of people would agree with that, right? Like you left for a week and now suddenly someone's squatting in your home. Where do we draw the line then between, okay, you were gone for a week on vacation and now suddenly you've come back and there's a Palestinian family living in your house versus you are gone for decades and maybe now there's a Palestinian family on your land or your family's land at what point does it go from squatting to finders keepers? You know what I mean? Because that's like someone brought up in the chat, you know, Native Americans have a case on that too. I think with this idea of, and, and you you touched on it pretty well when you said like this idea of your family owned it a thousand years ago, so now I should own it. I don't know. You know, it's one of those ideas of where do we draw the line? And if we don't draw the line, what other cases are we going to apply this to, right? Should we be giving back everything to the Native Americans? Should we be giving back, you know, most of of Europe to various places, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't know. I wanted to get your thoughts on those, I guess, and whether you thought yeah. this was more black and white or gray like that. Yeah, thanks for having this discussion. Um, you know, for, um, many years ago, I, I decided to try to write the differences between um, you know, European settlers here in this country, the United States, mm -hmm. and Jews invading Palestine, um, and what the differences were. And I came up with 10 differences. And I found it um, very instructional because I handed that list over to an Iraqi friend of mine. And overnight, she added 22 differences. Um, so, so clearly, there, you know, the, 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 this doesn't hold water to make a comparison to um, what the uh, white Europeans did to Native Americans um, for many reasons. One, it's over 500 years old, and the Israeli um, genocide of the, of the Palestinian people is, um, is only, um, you know, I mean, when I was born, there was no Israel. And so, um, so the time factor is very huge here. Um, there were no set laws in international 
uh, courts that said you couldn't acquire land by force. Um, the Americans came over and at least respected the, the Native Americans to, you know, name areas for them, name roads for them, name, you know, uh, um, uh, stadiums and, and, and maybe me, might be demeaning to have mascots. But in Israel, every effort is made to just completely wipe out uh, the Palestinian lives and, um, and their culture completely. Um, replacing uh, towns and streets uh, with, um, you know, they used to have Arabic sounding names with uh, Israeli names. So there are 32, uh, at least on my list now, there's 32 differences between um, what happened in America 500 years ago and what happened in Palestine 70 years ago. So I think I needed to say that. And I would also offer, um, because we hear from Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, that, that he demands the Palestinians accept Israel's right to exist as a Jewish state. And I believe it has no right to exist as a Jewish state. Uh, the same way I would say that the United States does not have a right to exist as a white state, which we don't claim, but Israel claims very clearly in their uh, nation state law that they passed in 2018. I don't wanna hog the um, conversation, uh, but if, you know, so if people wanna comment on what I've just said, that's that's fine. Yeah, no, I appreciate the, the feedback. Uh, Mr. Mann, did you have any, any comments on what he was bringing up? Yeah, uh, thanks, Henry, for sharing your thoughts. I think uh, there's some valuable insight there comparing like what the, the differences between the Native Americans and what's going on in Israel. And I think the key takeaway that I had from there is, of course, the time issue that like, mm -hmm. that Zach brought up is that how long does it take Zach, you gave a very interesting example, and I've been thinking about this, um, is that let's say you go away from a week and then someone comes back. Of course, that's your property. But then if it's a generations, then what happens to that? Right. So like you go away from generations and then someone comes comes back. And how do you deal with that? Um, and there's even laws like uh, I think in the U.S., like uh, in terms of uh, certain states have laws where uh, I forget the type of law, but. Uh, let's say you're, you're, you just abandon your property. And then if someone stays in that property uh, for a certain amount of time and can show evidence to the state, the state will legally give you that, that property to you. So you can't just come back like decades later and ask for it because it's no longer your property, you abandoned it. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a very like interesting. So the thing that you talked about is like, okay, Israel uh, got founded in like 1940s now. And it's been generations now. There's people who are born in that land. So can they just like pick up and be like, hey, like we're not going to be a state. It, it can't happen anymore because it's too late now. At the same time, there is this, uh, this displacement of Palestinians who did have that piece of land before that. And then this political situation just got so screwed up that now they're constantly being displaced. It's, there's a genocide that's going on. There is, uh, so they have a right to that piece of land too. So it's really like who, there's no right side here. Like you can't just defend like one portion and just say like, hey, the other one doesn't deserve something. Uh, you're, in, I just don't know what the balance is. And I guess the politicians in that area and the people have been trying to figure out that balance and it, there's no answer. Mm -hmm. I have an answer to that, Mr. Mann. Sure, go ahead. 
um, you know, and, and I and I pose it as a question. And the question is, did did Palestinians invade Poland and expel forcibly expel seven hundred and fifty thousand Jews to create a Muslim state? And of course, the answer is no. It's a set up question. But the reality is that it was the opposite. That it wasn't generate. It wasn't. Um, thousands of years ago, it was only a hundred years ago or so, maybe more, that that the Zionist movement started um, their their quest of Palestine to create a Jewish state at the expense of the Christians and Muslims that live there, and uh, and that's why uh, we feel it has no right at all to do that, uh, and certainly not uh, post World War II. Um, you you made a claim that that. Um, uh, Jews have suffered, and um, nobody doubts that. But it's, it's, it's very um, eye-opening to ask um, why. Um, why were Jews, um, let's say, disliked or uh, hated in, uh, in Germany between World War I and World War II? Um, and I can tell you that one reason was, I think we're all familiar with the Balfour Declaration, uh, of 1917, where Britain ceded the, uh, the or agreed that the Jews have a right to exist in part of Palestine. Well, what it turns out is that the, that the Balfour Agreement was actually a, a quid pro quo for um, Zionists getting the United States into war in World War One, not two, but World War One, mm -hmm. on Britain's side to defeat Austria and Germany, and that really rankled in Germany that some of their own people inside Ger inside Germany would be would deviously plot to bring Germany down, which they did in World War One, and and the and the uh, um, the reward they got, the, the Jewish Zionists got, was the Balfour Declaration, which which gave them basically gave them some claim, though I think it's a very false claim to a land that uh, that wasn't Britain's in the first place. It was Palestinian land, and uh, Britain had no right to give it away to a third party. Do you think that changed after the Ottoman Empire no longer exists? I'm not to not meaning this as a gotcha or anything, but just at that point, you know, like you said, the and I had touched on it a little bit, I think, before you had joined. Um, but, you know, yeah, Britain may or may not have actually had the ability or the right to to designate that land as Israel's homeland since the Ottoman Empire, quote unquote, owned it. So after World War One and and that was no longer longer the case, do you think that that changes things at that point like maybe they weren't able to make the designation when they originally made it but does that think, make it more up for grabs you know i don't want to I'm, I'm not a history professor i don't know a lot about that stuff i know that the ottoman empire uh was defeated in world war one and then um and then uh britain got uh, the palestinian mandate they got the mandate to mm -hmm. control that area of the middle east and uh, the other areas of the Middle East were divvied up between France and England and the U.S., et cetera. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, to be an activist, which I claim to be, I don't think you need to have a history degree to, to, to know right from wrong, because it's a, uh, it's a very simple, it's a very simple uh, issue. And any time we hear politicians say, oh, the issue is so complex over there, um, you should watch to see if their nose is growing, because they're, they're lying. It's a very, it's a very simple um, uh, uh, situation and, and uh, you know, European Jews came in and they had first attempted to purchase land and they couldn't purchase enough land fast enough to make a Jewish state and they couldn't populate it enough to make a, to make a Jewish majority 
area. And so they had to expel and they used force and, and massacres. Deir Yassin um, was a village that was massacred weeks before Israeli declaimed statehood. Um, the, the partition plan with the UN was never ratified by the, um, by the Security Council. It has no legal uh, holding to say that um, the, the General Assembly considered or had a, they had a vote. And, and the vote itself is very interesting because all the countries in the area that would be most affected by uh, a Jewish state being formed voted no. Um, and countries like Canada and Australia and New Zealand voted yes. I mean, it just makes no sense from a, uh, um, a human rights uh, perspective because the people that were gonna be most affected um, voted no, we don't, we don't want our demographics changed. You know, we're an Arab community and we don't wanna be a European Jewish community. Um, but their voices, the verses, voices weren't heard. And, um, and so we're left with, you know, either you believe that God gave Jews the land, which I do not, um, or, um, or, or then you have to, as um, I think, uh, is it Zach? Is that mm -hmm. who you yep. Yeah, yeah, I know. I don't have my name. I've got the podcast name on there. But yep, it's Zach. Yeah. Okay. Um, the, you know, talking about the, the suffering of Jews and stuff like that, that's, that's exactly why they have to promote this, this historical slash religious event called the Holocaust. And they promote it all the time to ensure that uh, Jewish suffering trumps Palestinian suffering every time. And so the world says, geez, the Palestinians are being treated badly. I think Mr. Mann was, was list, listing some statistics which are, are completely um, verifiable and backupable that, that the Palestinians, I mean, it's, it's a ridiculous comparison. Palestinians have no tanks, no, have no airplanes, have no F-16s, F-18s, no air, you know, it, it's just, just an amazing slaughter of one side over another. It's not a conflict. It's not a war. Um, you can say all the bad things you want about Hamas. They, they really have the love of the Palestinian people behind them. They do more than just military resistance. They do organizing, they do education, um, and, and yet our media uh, completely distorts them and completely calls them terrorists. And I've been to Palestine three times and I, and I, you know, I kind of know what I'm talking about. I don't, but like again, I said, I'm not a professor of history, uh, but the, you don't need to be to determine right from wrong. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you, you sharing your perspective. Um, I, I was going to shift gears a little to talk a little more specifically about current events. I know we've been talking historically before I jump to that. I wanted to give anyone who wanted an opportunity to respond to what you were saying, Henry, or, or anything else we've been talking about more historically um, before we shift to kind of the, the more recent conflicts and, you know, the, the missile firings and ceasefire and everything that's been going on. Yeah, I just want to uh, touch on what Henry said and just pose the question out there, and this is not just for Henry, but broadly, like, let's just say that the, the issue is clear-cut, and I don't think the issue is clear-cut. It is a very complicated issue. But, and what is the solution then now? Is it like, like the state of Israel has formed since the 40s, right? People have been born there. They're now Israeli citizens. And of course, they are also like the government, not the people, the government has been like doing all these crimes against Palestinians. So I just think there has to be a solution that doesn't lead to, oh, let's just like 
turn away all the Israelis from the land that they illegally got like 50 or 60 years ago. So what what is a solution to this then? It's it's an easy solution. The, the, the Jews have to leave or the ones that want to stay, it's an option for them. Um, leaving is a good option as far as I'm concerned. People born in Israel or Palestine um, have a right to live where they're born. I, I agree with that. They deserve citizenship from where they are born, but they must agree to live under Palestinian rule. It was the Palestinians' land that was taken. It was a zero-sum game. This is a zero-sum game here. Um, every uh, village that was taken by the Jewish uh, terrorist gangs of the uh, 40s um, uh, came at a loss of that same village to the Palestinians who owned it prior. So to get justice, it has to be reversed. Now, I'm not, a, I'm not in any way um, advocating for a, a violent uh, resolution, but I'm certainly not going to um, um, hold Hamas um, guilty for using armed resistance to the theft of their land or what they perceive to be the theft of their land. And I agree with that, that, that it has been stolen from them. And um, so we have, uh, like in um, a white supremacist South Africa, we broke that system and, um, and let, allowed the, um, the people who were living there originally to maintain rule. And that has to happen in Palestine. The only difference is that South America, um, excuse me, South Africa was allowed to maintain its name. Uh, but in this case, Israel's going to go away. If, if everybody there um, gets a vote to name the country, <laughs> it's going to be Palestine. It's not going to be Israel. But and that's why Israel has to um, insert these terrifically uh, racist and apartheid laws to keep pal Palestinians in the West Bank and Gaza from getting the vote. That's another one of the great differences between the uh, Native Americans in this country and uh, Palestinians there is that the uh, um, you know Native Americans here can vote, they can own property, they can intermarry, um, they can they have all sorts of freedoms um, now. And I'm not saying that it was a, it was an easy. A thing for them to do over 500 years to be defeated by um, the the white um, settlers in, in in that case, but but um, you know the whole the whole difference is, is is vastly different. There's there's a respect for Native Americans. Israel does not respect um, um, Palestinians. Uh, they want them gone. It's very clear, and they also want an expansion. They're not going to stop at the uh, at the 49 borders. Uh, they're not, that's clear. They're not going to stop at Palestine's borders. They're going to go from the from the Euphrates down to the Nile, and it's been cl it's clear in uh, religious Jewish texts that show these maps. I was shown that by one of the rabbis here in Ann Arbor, who um, who um, said that that's that's the that's the plan. I mean, the Greater Israel plan. It's it's from not from Mediterranean Sea to the Jordan. It's from the from the Nile to the Euphrates. Um, so I think the solution's easy. The world just has to have the nerve to hold Israel accountable and say, no, you can't run this under Jewish supremacist laws. You have to let the Palestinians run their country the way they want. All the Palestinians I've met will certainly accept Jews as citizens, but they have to be um, citizens subservient to Palestinian rule. Idea might sound easy, Henry, but <laughs> practicality uh, implementation given the state of the world and the state of Israel and 
it, it, it does sound difficult from that yes, sense. Yes, I agree. I'm not saying it's it's easy. I can't wave a magic wand and have it done. Mm -hmm. But by God, when we have $10 million a day flowing from uh, coffers, the United States to Israel, and, and the, 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 the angering part is that we American citizens, I don't know if everybody here is an American citizen, but we don't get a vote on that. It makes a total mockery of our democracy. It makes a total uh, um, mockery of, of our foreign aid uh, programs that are supposed to help uh, underprivileged countries achieve equality of some sort and 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 to and, you know and to help them uh, help the indigenous be a safety net for these countries and to give money to a to a country like Israel where the per capita income is greater than the United States that's just that's just foolish for us to continue doing that all we need to do is stop this funding you know I mean and and you're right Mr. Mann it's it's a very difficult thing to do because Congress makes these rules and you know how Congress is dominated um, by uh, by Jewish interests um, who's our Secretary of State who's our Secretary of the Treasury you know you can see these these influential posts being filled with people that are Israel firsters and um, and that's and that's a very scary thing if these people were Russia firsters or um, um, Iran firsters, you know, we, we would be up in arms about this, but because it's Israel and because um, our, our, our media is so dominated with a pro-Israel bias and our Congress is so dominated by a pro-Israel bias, we can't get our hands around what a simple issue this is. If we stop USAID to Israel, that could cure a whole lot of things. And that's what, that's what we, uh, we protest for every Saturday morning at Beth Israel Congregation. I want to push back on a couple points, but I first I want to find a point of uh, agreement. I so I well uh, first a point of respect and then a point of agreement. I respect so I disagree with you on in parts, um, but I respect the adherence to what you think is the right quote unquote right solution. I mean I agree that obviously if that were to be the plan we took, it would obviously be difficult. But if you think that that's the right thing to do, it being hard shouldn't be stopping you from wanting to do it. So I, I respect that, even though I may disagree in part with whether or not that's the solution. You know, I, I agree with Mr. Mann in that I don't think a one state Palestinian solution is feasible. I think that in the current state of things, not enough of the world would be willing to go along with with what you with what you're proposing. And then it would you know wind up devolving into a might makes right sort of uh, squabble. And in that case, I, I feel like Israel would, you know, between the Iron Dome and, and their military equipment, I think that it would be a very different outcome than Israel just up and leaving. Um, but again, you know, that's practicality, not necessarily morality. Um, and, and we could differ there in other ways. But I think that, um, that you're touching on an important point that I wanted to steer us back to a little bit um, is this idea of whether or not Israel has the right to be a state and then whether Israel has the right to be a Jewish state, um, because I think that we, we've touched on this a little bit when, when we were talking earlier about the ability to claim land if you're Israeli, but maybe not if you are Palestinian, um, and, and various other laws that may or may not apply, or may not apply evenly. And I think that if we draw the par the, a parallel to other countries, it's hard to do, right? Because again, this is a, this is a novel, situation other countries pref 
preference their citizenry. Maybe you have rights as a citizen in comparison to a non-citizen, but this is an instance where you can be a Palestinian or Arab Israeli citizen, if you're, especially if you're born there in other ways. So I guess the, the question I wanted to pose to all of you is whether you think that the Jewish part of this state is acceptable. And I guess, you know, Henry, I can already guess that, you know, you think that that's not the case because you think that Israel shouldn't exist in the first place. But, you know, if if we had taken that element out and took out any of the controversial laws and the controversial property disputes, and there was a solidly, well, I don't want to say solidly, because who knows if that will ever happen. If there was a somewhat agreed upon two state solution and these controversial laws were addressed, do you or do, you, do others think that that is an instance where we could morally agree with a two state solution as opposed to still pushing for a one state solution and, and Israel to, to leave? Do you think is the conflict the them having this land in the first place and that's it? Or is the, the problem what they're doing with the land and how they're handling their government and their laws and things like that? Yeah, I think a two-state solution could work if all parties agreed on what the terms would be, but there's no agreement on what the right. terms are. That's the complication here. And and uh, to, your, to your earlier point that you made, do the Jews have any right to that place? I think the native Jews who already lived there for thousands of years do have uh, some right, and they're they're part of the native land. Uh, it's not like when the Jews, uh, European settlers, the European Jews came there that like they were the only Jews there. They were Jews already living there in Palestine, what that land was, and actually they have been living there for uh, years, uh, for centuries, uh, Jews, Muslims, and Christians without the overarching like a state being formed, mm -hmm. right? So uh, there did not need to be a, a situation. It, it's the state that complicated things. And then the world got, had this like vested interest. Okay, like we are team X and we need to like uh, defend our piece of land. And like they had, they got all this vested interest. The British became involved, that complicated things. Uh, the, the UN got involved, that complicated thing. So. I don't know if if a, if people can agree on it to if people can agree on something I think that would be a reasonable solution. The the problem is that no one can agree on anything. Right. Yeah. Well, that's the whole point. Everybody yeah. is coward into not agreeing on every on anything. I mean, if we assume a two two state solution, we can discuss this. But but how would that look? Would um, would Palestinians be given an airport? Would they be given fighter jets? Would they be given tanks? You know, with with um, the, uh, the the aid, ten million dollars a day, go uh, you know fifty fifty, to, so that um, or or maybe in for past reparations since nineteen sixty seven at least the the amount of uh, funding from uh, America to Israel has been so huge. Let's make that same funding available to Palestinians. But nobody wants to go there. Nobody wants to discuss this. Everybody wants to hold their head and say it's too complicated and I can't figure out the solution where the solution is staring us right in the face. You can't control another people based on your religion or based on your um, ethnic heritage or your biology or whatever you want to call it. 
it isn't going to work. Ethnic superiority didn't work in Germany, didn't work in South Africa. It's not going to work in Israel. And the sooner we get the nerve to enforce what we know is right. I mean, what, how long ago was it where the ICC, the community, international community uh, legal uh, body said that the wall that, that, that Israel was building was illegal and it had to be torn down. And what was Israel's response? It was a response just like Tony Soprano's response. You know, get away from me. Don't talk to me and don't tell me what to do because I'm not going to do it anyways. Same as Joe Biden goes to, to Benjamin Netanyahu and says we should uh, work for a ceasefire. And ben, Bibi says, uh, hell no, we're going we're gonna to wipe them out. Of course, he failed, but but that was, you know, they don't, they don't listen. The arrogance coming from the state of Israel, um, coming from the Jewish communities, um, and I speak from experience. I've tried to put up billboards around Ann Arbor that said America first, not Israel. And uh, we signed contracts with billboard companies and the billboard goes up and a week later it gets torn, uh, taken down and no explanation is given. Um, and, and I think one company, Adams, the guy actually admitted that he had received calls from the Detroit Jewish Community Council and, uh, and was, <laughs> it was a, an offer he couldn't refuse. Um, and they took the billboards down. So, so the, you know, the, the, the power um, that the uh, Jewish community holds is uh, it needs to be stood up to and needs to be challenged. And as far as I can see, uh, we're the only protest group that's doing that. Henry, one of the things that you mentioned, um, interested in that, um, it, I think one of the things that the American right and the American left uh, often can agree on is the fact that getting out of like wars or getting out of investments from across the world. And I think this is a question for the general public, but also the question that we received in the chat. Mm -hmm. you know, I'll read this out is that, is the funding going to stop anything? Uh, I, I know we have tons of research related to RF sensors, electronics and artificial intelligence, and there are things you can't afford to not be first to develop from a technology standpoint. What's the government funding we're talking about going towards? So yeah, I guess the broader question is like, should the US be less invested from this? And I want to hear the political arguments for that. Of course, like I know the right might have a different argument from the left, but uh, I'm just generally interested about like, okay, this is taxpayer money. Not every taxpayer likes that this money is going abroad. And there's a lot of issues in the US that need to be fixed first. Uh, so yeah, what, what are your guys' thoughts about this? I think my take on it is that Focusing more on the specifically on the recent stuff, I, because uh, you know as we've as we've talked about, you can go back and forth about the historical stuff, and you know more or less rationally argue from either perspective um, to some extent. I, I think more recently, my my stance. I, typically, I'm pretty non-interventionist. Typically, I think that we should stay out of these international conflicts for the most part. You know, more of a you know, stay out until it's absolutely necessary or potentially requested by a by an oppressed country, or, you know, spe special cases, exceptions to that rule. But I think that when it comes to Israel specifically, looking specifically at recent events, um, and I'll, I'll preface this by saying this is my personal take, and obviously I'm not an expert and, you know, I have my own biases. 
But with the recent events, you know, you're looking at a a recognized terrorist organization, not just by the U.S., but by other countries as well, that is allegedly, you know, using civilian centers and schools and other other areas like this to launch missiles at another country that while people are disagreeing whether or not that country has a right to exist right now, at the very least in the vague sense, at the at the most in oftentimes in a legal sense, depending on which country you ask and whatnot. Ultimately, my view of government is that the the one most important role of a government is to protect the rights of its citizenry. And so we can disagree about whether or not that government or country should or should not exist. But the fact that at least right now, it's there, their one responsibility is to protect this, the Israeli citizens. And if a group, whether it's Hamas or whether it's anyone, is launching missiles at that, at that citizenry, look, if this were the US and someone launched a missile at New Jersey or Chicago or whatever, I, I wouldn't be against retaliation. And I think a lot of people wouldn't be against retaliation because it's the government's role to defend your citizens. And so while I get that, you know, yes, if we look at the gross raw numbers, more Palestinians are dying, more Palestinian children are dying. I think that there's a lot, it's hard to look at that as a simple comparison and say that, you know, one group is suddenly more oppressed than the other. There are other factors we can have that conversation with, but just the simple looking at the numbers, you know, when you factor in things like Hamas firing from schools or very near schools, or, you know, the I, the fact that lots of those missiles hit Gaza that were launched by Hamas, that, you know, they, they launched a lot of missiles that just didn't make it and wound up killing Palestinians as well. So I think in the short term, when we're talking about U.S. intervention and U.S., I guess, involvement, I think, and again, this is where our disagreements on the existence of Israel come on, uh, come up, but I think in this instance where I believe that Israel has a right to exist, I think that it now falls on the U.S. on some limited capacity to oppose terrorism and to defend some of those other principles that we were talking about earlier, democracy and and uh, and what have you. That's not to say that it's not complicated and that I'm standing by every single thing that Israel does or has done. Both Israel and Palestine have most likely both done really fucked up stuff on both sides, and they've both done probably very benevolent and and nice things on both sides, right? Just like we can look at any group or any country throughout history. So I'm not trying to align myself with one particular government and say that everything they do is okay. But given the recent circumstances, I'm especially with these most recent attacks, I'm saying that that's my only, I guess, reasoning for the US intervention. Outside of that, though, I think that, you know, when it when it comes to the amount of taxpayer money that goes to Israel and I mean, other foreign countries for that matter, I think a lot of it could be going towards this research and development and and technological development and these other areas that are currently underfunded. But we could say that about a lot of different funding areas as well. But yeah, I don't know. Anyone else have any thoughts on U.S. intervention in in Israel and and specifically the recent conflicts? Well, I mean, 
I don't want to pick fights or score points or win arguments here, but but you know you're you're using some false analogies here when you say about defending the citizens that Israel's an established nation and it owes its citizens. You know, bombing bombing the AP building in Al Jazeera um, wasn't anywhere near defending its citizens. Bombs weren't coming from the AP building. If you want to talk about specifics, and what about the residential building that that Israel just flat out leveled? A residential neighborhood. Um, you know, what about these these uh, white phosphorus bombs that get tossed by Israel? You know, if you want to make comparisons, and you can do that, I'm not interested in doing it to tell you the truth because I don't want to examine the bark on the trees. Um, the, I want to look at the whole forest. And you say people have a right to defend themselves, but if I if I come into your house and start stealing things you know, and you start saying, hey, get out. And, uh, you know, do I have a right to defend myself? Doesn't that kind of like disqualify my claim that I have a right to defend myself? And so you can't really divorce um, the, um, the, the history of the theft of Palestine from it, what's, going, what's going on specifically. Now the Arab community from Dearborn jumps up and they do protests every five years when Israel does something super atrocious. Um, but they do things atrocious every day. My friend Allison Weir documents this. If americansnew.org is her website, people can go on there and take a look. Um, this, isn't, this isn't new. Israel commits atrocities. And now, you know, there's this new group called New Generation for Palestine. You know, they'll flap their mouths for like a couple of weeks and then they'll be silent, you know, but our group, um, since we're focused on the, the, the ending of Jewish supremacism in Palestine, ending of the Jewish uh, supremacist state, returning it back to the Palestinians that, that, that have the state and would welcome Jews from all the Palestinians I've ever met here and there. Jews would have an easy life if they wanted to live in Palestine, but I don't think they will if they can't have their cake and eat it too. Uh, if they have to share, they're not going to play the game. And I think they need a, uh, a hand from, from independent sources like the United States, like the United Kingdom that says, we're not gonna tolerate this anymore. Then we're not gonna give you a, a red cent until you, you know, realize um, your past and your present because your present is still just an extenuation of the past. You're still genociding Palestinians. Uh, I'll, I'll shut up now, sorry. But I, <laughs> I do thank you, Zach, for you know, doing this effort to to have a, a reasonable conversation. And I hope I've been reasonable. Yeah, no, of course. The the one thing I want to point out to to all our listeners, and, and thank you again for, for sharing your perspective. The one thing I want to point out to our listeners before turning over to see if anyone else has any parting thoughts. Um, I, you know, I just want to point out like within the con within the confines of this conversation, Henry called Israel a supremacy state and I called Hamas a terrorist organization. And we both pretty clearly disagree with each other's viewpoints on each each of those groups. The point of this podcast is to encourage these kinds of conversations, right? We're not going to, none of these issues, whether it's the Israeli-Palestinian conflict or Black Lives Matter or drug use and abuse and laws and all of the things that we've covered on this podcast, like it's, it's unrealistic to expect that these kinds of very strong and, and, polarizing differences aren't going to arise in these conversations. They're, they're going to, that's the nature of the issue. And, you know, without walking, you know, working through that part and, 
you know, dealing with the little bit of confirmation bias that may come up or the cognitive dissonance that may strike up in, in you when you hear something that you disagree with. I, I think that these conversations are the ways that, you know, we're not we're not solving this Israeli-Palestinian conflict tonight. That's not obviously that's not going to be the immediate outcome of this. But if more people could have these kinds of conversations, we'd be one step closer to solving the conflicts. And at the very least, we would understand the other side. So, so yeah, Henry, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your perspective and everyone else for that matter. Mr. Mann, what about you? Any thoughts on, on this issue that you want to leave on? Anything you want to say that needs saying? Yeah, I think this was a great conversation. Um, we touched, we barely scraped the very complex yeah. history that's going on. And um, I think we had a very productive conversation, at least to get people thinking more and doing more research about what's going on. I think a lot of people that I've noticed, I don't know if, if you've noticed this, Zach, but they hesitate to uh, put front, front their views about the situation because they just don't know or mm -hmm. they just uh, see other people disagreeing with each other. So I think hopefully this will be an impetus for people to uh, do more research about what's going on and uh, put yourselves in the shoes of people who are suffering in this region um, and hopefully we can have a more productive conversation. Yeah, yeah, 100%. So yeah, thank you everyone for joining in. As always, check us out on social media. We are Say What Needs Saying on Instagram and on Facebook. On Twitter, we are Say What Needs. Um, we are in the process of developing a website, saywhatneedssaying.com, so it should be done soon. Be sure to keep checking that out for updates. If you want to continue joining these conversations, if you are listening in and you think that you have something to say and you want your perspective heard, shoot us an email at saywhatneedssayingpodcasts at gmail.com. We can add you to the invite list. We do these all the time and we can send out a notification beforehand with the Zoom invite and everything so that everyone can join in and say what needs saying and not just listen to us say what we think needs saying. But yeah, thank you all again for listening. Tune in next time. We're not sure what we're going to be talking about, but it'll be something important that people don't want to talk about otherwise. Bring a friend, tell someone about us, and share this video. Thanks so much, or say what needs saying. Take care. Mm -hmm.